You know, uh, it, I've listened probably so far to about mm, three, six, nine, 12 hours worth of sermons myself just on Leviticus. And every single preacher has said that uh, Leviticus is, is the number one killer of all well-intentioned Bible students. Uh, because you get to it and you just don't know quite how that's applicable. However, they also are quick to say, and I concur, that when you begin to understand the picture of Leviticus, I'm not too sure that there is a more perfect book in the Old Testament that shows Christ. I mean, it is, it is rich in showing Jesus. Everywhere you turn, around every corner, you see Christ all in there. So, the Old Testament is the shadow The New Testament is the substance. And what even a blessing when we can marry those things together. So we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 2 today. We're going to be talking about, we are still in what's known as the ritual sacrifices. And we talked about, well that's that's wrong, it should have been the grain offering. Didn't get that one switched. But we're talking about the grain offering today in chapter 2, the grain offering. Or the minha, as it's, as it's really in the Hebrew, it's the minha. So if you have Leviticus chapter 2, open, let's stand, and let's read God's words. It's a short chapter, don't worry. Okay? But even so, Leviticus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. Do you see what I mean about Jesus? It's right there, okay? Starting out. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take, it from, take from it his handful of fine flour and oil with the frankincense. And the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. And if you bring as an offering a grain offering baked in the oven, it shall be of unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. But if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan or on a griddle, better griddle, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. Again, verse 6, you break it in pieces. Bread of life, Jesus, it's it's all there. Okay, If in verse 7, if your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. You shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. Then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire. Notice this phrase again. You'll see it a lot throughout Leviticus. A sweet aroma to the Lord. And what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord. Now this is key in verse 11. Shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. As for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. And you shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. 
With all your offerings, in fact, you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain beaten from full heads, and you shall put oil on it, lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion, part of its beaten grain, and part of its oil with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to please show us how to partake of these passages that discuss and describe you in full detail, that you are most holy to the Lord. And then, of course, Lord, when we are saved in Christ, we too are set aside as most holy to the Lord, saints of God. God, help us to see the richness of this today. Help us to see the beauty of it and rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. All right, so I know there's lots of... When you're reading through these, these rituals, there's lots of things repeating itself. But notice the themes that are repeating itself are, are, are worth noting. A smooth or a soothing aroma to the Lord, which indicates satisfaction. He's well pleased. It's a, it's a calming thing, okay? And then it's most holy to the Lord, which if you didn't get anything out of it, you don't mess around with it. It's most holy to the Lord. What we have in these ritual sacrifices is simply worship being offered from the worshiper to God Himself. When we come together on Sunday mornings, we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And we come and we, we worship. We just sang. But you do know, and we talked about this a while back in, in what biblical worship is. Biblical worship is not relegated solely to music. In fact, we understood that music is, is down on the list of things that's part of biblical worship. Certainly part of it. But the first, the first thing that biblical worship requires is a heart of humility and gratitude. That's, that's where you begin to worship, okay? So you can worship with or without a guitar, okay? You can worship by reading the Scripture. You can worship in prayer. In fact, we should be worshiping as we live for Christ every day. And, of course, that's a, that's a, a high and lofty goal, and we, we fail at it many times, but that is still what we're, we're supposed to be about. We are constantly living out and exuding the worship of God in our life, which, thank God, I believe, that's why when we don't, we're convicted. We, we, we have a sense of loss. We've cheated God from what He rightfully deserves from our consecration. Uh, that the burnt offering, we remember last week, we talked about that atonement that's made for us where we have peace with God. We are wasting that when we don't fully live in a way that honors that whole offering going up. And so... Daniel Block talks about this worship as motive by saying true worship involves reverential human acts of submission and homage before the divine sovereign in response to his gracious revelation of himself and in accord with his will. We give to him what is rightfully due him. Now under the political system, this is what they were told to bring and told to give. And they were to give their level best. They were to give their very best on the burnt offering. They were to give their best when it came to the issues of the grain offering, which was most holy to the Lord, okay? It goes on to say, unless the worshiper walks with God in daily life, now this is key, no cultic acts will impress God positively. Now, for those of you who aren't used to academia, when we use words like cultic, he's using it forensically as it really stands. In other words, 
that's the part and portion of the things that we do that's relegated to the Christian faith. Okay, that's our reasonable act of service as we talked about in, in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, brethren, therefore by the mercies of God that you live your, or offer your bodies as a sacrifice to God, which is your reasonable act of service. So unless the worshiper walks with God in daily life, no, no form, no sense of acts committed or demonstrated will impress God positively. True worship is expressed primarily in everyday conduct. Every, true, did you get that part? Now, Daniel Block wrote probably the most definitive work, Dr. Daniel Block, on biblical worship there ever has been. Okay? And so he, he has immersed himself his entire life in the Hebrew text and the, in the uh, Hebrew language. And so, very good work. I've read parts of it, large sections, not all of it. But I think this part about unless the worshiper walks with God in daily life, no amount of good works or uh, religious uh, demonstrations will impress God positively. So in other words, here's, here's a simple way to, to break that down. Just because you come to church today and you're sitting there and you've went through the singing portion of worship service and now you're hearing the, the scripture preached and you're here for that and we've had a time of prayer. If you've lived like the devil all week, you've got no qualm with that and you come in here and you think, well, I'm here at church. God's pleased with me. Guess again. And you furthermore, you just contaminate your entire Sunday. You see, we come here to be refreshed, but, but are we prepared to come here? See, we always think about what can I get from God rather than what can I give to God. And these ritual sacrifices, especially after the burnt offering is made because the grain offering is never offered by itself. There's always been a blood offering and it's the only one of the offering that does not have any blood. Okay, so it's, it's done after the fact to say, not only am God, thank you that I'm atoned, but thank you, God, that you see me. And here's my, my tribute, because as we'll soon see, that's what a grain offering or a minha means. I'm, I'm giving you something as a tribute, a gift, because I love you. So why are you here today on this side of the cross? We looking back to what they did. Why are, why are you here at service? Why, uh, why do you come? Is it to... It, well, I would be honest and say, well, I'm, I come to receive and to give. I do. I, I need to hear from God. But I want to give to God, too. You know, at a certain point in the maturing of the Christian life, you, you get tired of being a consumer and you want to start being a, a giver, a participant. You want to get in there. You want to do something, right, for the Lord. And uh, that's, that's what this is about. It's joining in with God's plan of fellowship and redemption. Joe Moorcraft, we talked about the theme of Leviticus last week. The grand theme of holiness runs all the way through it because it is the book on it. Joe Moorcraft writes, A holy God demands a holy people, and that holiness must pervade the entirety of their lives. Now think about that statement real quick. A holy God demands a holy people, and that holiness must pervade the entirety of their lives. Everything. 
and of course the structure of Leviticus, if we remember, uh, 27 chapters long, written in a chiastic form, each end of this in chapters 1 through 7 and then chapters 23 to 27, we see the ritual sacrifices the people are supposed to bring. But then on the very end of it, of the book, we'll see the ritual calendar in which these things are done on a bigger scale among them together. So we have our individual walk with God, right? That's the stuff that you and I don't see each other do every day. But then we have our corporate walk with God. That's the stuff that we see each other do when we come together. Both are important, which is why today is corporate prayer. So we all pray individually, but how do we pray together? Are we as strong together as we are individually? Most of, some of us find ourselves being more, more fundamentally uh, comfortable alone than with the rest of the church. I heard an interesting statement this week. And I can't remember who because I have a litany of preachers that I hear. But said that uh, sanctification, when divorced from a consistent fellowship with the local church, in its, not in its definitive sense, but in its practical sense, is literally Stopped. How, how far can you go on in the practical aspect of your sanctification if you are divorced from the fellowship of the saints? See what I mean? Like, you're there, and that's as far as you're going to go. You, because God has given the means of grace for this life to the Christian through the means of the local church, of the church. We have the preaching of the word. We have the prayer ministry together. We have the accountability. We have all of the mutual encouragement that we give. But we have that together. So we have the individual front side of Leviticus with the individual and their ritual sacrifices. And then we have the corporate aspects as comes on the tail end in 23 through 27. So remember last week we said we were, we talked about the Olah, the going up of the burnt offering. The whole animal being offered to God and it was your best and today we talk about the minha, the grain offering, and the Hebrew word for the cereal offering is minha, and it simply means to serve as a tribute to God. So minha is the grain offering. So as I said, the minha is an offering of grain given as an act of worship and sacrifice. Worship and sacrifice. That's what it's about. Okay, when you come, you're giving that. Grain offerings frequently accompanied burnt offerings. As I said, they 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 rarely, if ever, stand alone. There has to be something ahead to make you acceptable under this system to go before God in the first place. So, uh, in Leviticus chapter 14 and verse 20, And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar, so the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. Then you can come and you can bring your grain offering. And what's it consist of? Fine flour, oil, salt, and frankincense, these were the principal ingredients of the grain and cereal offering, which we're going to see in a second. It's pretty profound. There's a lot to get through here with this guy. So if I sound like an auctioneer, I'm sorry. Okay? This is near impossible. Uh, so the minha has four parts to it, and it's here in chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3, then, as we go through this. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. And he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, 
and the priests, one of whom shall take from it his handful of fine flour and oil with the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar and made by fire a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord. So you bring a dough ball, essentially, is what you have. You have some fine flour. And uh, this, this fine flour is strictly that. It's beaten really fine. It's, it's the expensive stuff, right? And you, you pour oil on it and you, you essentially make what would be considered, in what I've read, a, a dough ball. And you bring it to the priest. And he takes some of it and burns it in the fire. And the rest he keeps. It's most holy to the Lord. That's the one aspect of it. The other part in verse 4 is it's baked in an oven. And if you bring an offering of a grain offering baked in the oven, it shall be of unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. Jesus had no sin in him. He's, he's typified when we have communion of the bread of his body, which is broken for us. Okay? Sinless. The oil with which he was anointed. One of those ingredients were, and we know that was presented to him especially in the, uh, uh, when he was born, was the frankincense. Of course, later with myrrh, anointing him for burial. We see Jesus all over this. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, full of the Spirit. And when it talks about being baked in an oven, that's on a griddle. That was a one fashion in which they could offer this. Verse in 5 and 6 talks about being, being uh, cooked on a griddle. That one was in an oven. This is cooked on a griddle. If your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be, notice the same exact mixture mixed with oil. You shall break it. Now verse 6 is important because it says you shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. Again, we talk about and think about how Jesus was broken for us. So, the way to appreciate these aspects of these truths is to understand that this is a description of Jesus to us. Well, it goes on at the other, the, the, there's not four aspects. I messed that up too. Too much stuff. Uh, baked in a covered pan. We go on down to verse uh, 7. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. You shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. Baked in a covered pan. And then finally, as you go on down, the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire. I just wonder sometimes as we bring our offerings to God. So we, we tithe and we give. And really, if you want to know the technicality about it, Christians are called to something more than tithing. They're called to giving. And that's not, that doesn't stop at 10% of just money. In fact, for many people, they would rather opt that it would just be their money at 10%. But when you're in Christ and you bring your offering to God... I would ask the question, can it be withstood by fire? Will the fire reveal what sort it is? We talk about that later on in the scripture. The judgment seat of Christ. Your time, I think probably, 
is the most difficult to give to the Lord. We consider our time most valuable. But do you offer it? Your talent? What you're good at? You say, I don't know what my spiritual gift is and I've been saved for 20 years. Shame on you. You should know that. You were saved to serve, not to set and soak. Okay? And of course, that just leads to putrefaction. Did you get that? Get rigid, right? Okay? There's a joke. That went by fast, didn't it? Okay? (laughs) But also, too, the phrase frozen chosen comes from such conduct. We don't just sit there. We want to be alive, vigorous, serving the Lord, offering Him what we have. And one of the most privileged things that we get to do in ministry is help Christians who have discovered or are discovering their spiritual gifts get plugged in to use them. That is amazing to see Helps and hospitalities and teachings and all of those things come. But I I will finish this part by saying that you will never be satisfied in your part in the church if you're not serving. You never will. I, I don't really know what that is, actually. It's more like a spectator thing. Seems like that'd get old. Well, it's also offered as a, a, a whole offering. Look down here in verse 14. Well, we've got we to go to 11. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall, not, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. And we know the thing about leaven and honey is they both corrupt what they're in. They can. Honey is sweet, but it can ferment. And leaven, of course, changes the structure of what it's put into. It, it, it distorts it. That's what sin does. The altar of God is meant to be pure. You don't mess around with the altar of God. And then it goes on to say, uh, These things shall never be put on the altar, but that which is of the grain offering. In verse 13, And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. This is the salt of, referring to the salt of the covenant. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. Well, what does salt do? If those other things distort or corrupt, what does salt do? It preserves. It, it's lasting. I don't know this. I'm guessing from the old timers that I've talked to that used to sugar cure their own hams. Okay, or salt cure. If you wrap a, a big old ham or a, or a piece of meat in salt, how long will it stay like that? Well, if it's all encased, it's there, right? Boy, that'd be a good experiment. Um, just thinking dry brining and stuff. Tenderloin. It preserves. In Christ, when we come to Jesus, I don't come bringing corrupt worship. It may sound sweet and look good, and a lot of this stuff does these days. As I was telling the Sunday school class, now you really can go and buy a personalized Bible where your name is inserted in the Scripture where it says I or refers to me. You can even put your spouse or your children in there if you want to. Oh, yes, because everybody knows that Christianity is all about me. 
Isn't that, but see, that's what things have gotten to. That's, it sounds so sweet. It's, we're just going to help you grow, and we're going to help decay the authority and, and, and relevancy of the Scripture. You don't mess around with the altar. You don't mess around. Going on, and I'll have more to say about this salt in a minute. Well, we'll just right here. Salt. Salt was necessary in every sacrifice. This point is made very emphatically in verse 13. Salt prevents putrefaction while leaven and honey produce it. Verse 13 suggests that the salt symbolized the covenant. Interesting to note, Greeks and Arabs are known to have eaten salt together when they concluded covenants. In the Old Testament, salt is connected with covenants on two occasions. And both a covenant of salt means eternal covenant. Salt was something that would not be destroyed by fire or time or any other means in antiquity. To add salt to the offering was a reminder that the worshiper was, an, was in an eternal covenant relationship with his God. It's, it's, it's going to last. Which is ridiculous then why some could say, I think I can lose my salvation. Well, then it's not made of salt, is it? Perhaps it's made of honey. Perhaps it has leaven in it. It looks puffy and good and it's a little sweet. But you don't need that. This meant that God would never forsake him. And also that the worshiper had a perpetual duty to uphold and keep the covenant law. Now, the menha as a picture of Jesus. The cereal offering is a kind of tribute or gift from the faithful worshiper to his divine overlord. When a treaty was made, the conquered nations were expected to bring their tribute to the great king. Israel, too, was bound by a covenant with God and therefore had a responsibility to express her fidelity by bringing her cereal offerings. These helped to keep her in good standing before God. This is alluded to in the phrase of food offering for the Lord, which was a sweet or was as a soothing aroma. If you go down and read in verse 14, notice this. It says, If you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits green heads of grain roasted in the fire, grain beaten and full of heads. And the thing that I think about is Jesus being our first fruits. And was he not beaten? He was, wasn't he? And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. And then the priest shall burn the memorial portion, part of its beaten grain and part of its oil with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 and 16. Therefore, let by him, Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We may not bring grain, but we bring something of more value to him than grain. We bring what the grain in one aspect represents. We bring our hearts before God. So the fruit of our lips. Or if you're not singing. Or you're not praying. Or you're standing there. What's coming out of you that you're offering? But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices the Bible says. God is well pleased. I think. Do you ever, do you ever grade your. Do you ever grade and, and, and criticize or scrutinize, I should say, scrutinize your, your time at church on Sunday? Do you ever scrutinize it? Do you think, how did, how did God receive what I gave? Now, okay, you may not be up singing and, and you may not be preaching, you may not be teaching. 
But what's coming from you? You're bringing something. What is it? Does it please Him? It's a good question to ask. Fine flour, John chapter 6, verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. That's the kind of flower that I want. Oil, the Holy Spirit, Luke, 8, Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Notice this, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing with all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We have in the Minha, the grain offering, a picture of Jesus in true Old Testament form. And then we have frankincense. Frankincense is a symbol of holiness and righteousness. The gift of frankincense to the Christ child was symbolic of his willingness to become a sacrifice, wholly giving himself up, analogous to a burnt offering. Remember that last week? The altar of incense then, of which frankincense is a part, can also be seen as a picture of the intercession of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 7 and 25, therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. And we see all that pictured in the ingredients of the grain offering. Now, who can look at that again and read that chapter and not be impressed? Christ, the first fruits. Verse 14, we read, If you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain beaten from full heads. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 24. But now Christ is risen from the dead. And Jesus said about a wheat seed, unless it falls and dies, it cannot produce. What happened to Jesus? He tasted death for us, but he took his life up again. So Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Interesting to remember, there were others who also received their dead brought back to life too. Remember that? For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Now notice this again, Christ the first fruits afterward those who are christ at his coming then comes the end and i like that the best when he delivers the kingdom to god the father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power so we just talked i did a speed course here on the minha in leviticus chapter 2 and we have what would seem like some kind of innocuous offering of flour and oil and grain and frankincense and salt we saw it in different forms but we saw holiness to the Lord and we saw Jesus and today on this side of the cross we have that literal possession inside of us 
we have in Jesus our whole burnt offering. Our whole burnt offering. Nothing was held back. He gave it all. And then we have our tribute to Him as our grain offering. And I come and I lay my life down and say, God, I don't know how many years i got left, but I want you to have them. Do something with them that'll stand on the altar. I do not want to corrupt the altar. Jerry Bridges is one of my, uh, he's one of my favorites. I got a lot of favorites these days. Jerry, Jerry, Brother Jerry is so soothing. He's passed on now, but he wrote a lot about holiness and the holiness of God. And he, he made a comment this week. He said he was, he was pulled up to a church to, to speak in California. He got there 15 minutes before service, which I think, man, I wouldn't want to be there like an hour. But he had learned that just when he got there that one of their staff people had just died, just passed away. Suddenly. And so he felt that it was inappropriate for him to go ahead and speak on what he had prepared. Because the church was in a different place of need now. So he said he sat in his car and he prayed. God, show me what I should do. And he said, and and I have to admit that I thought first, have I lived right or good enough to earn your favor so I could have the message given to me because I've been doing good enough. We all think like that. Even Brother Jerry Bridges. But then he, he made this comment. We don't, we don't serve God based on our merit. We serve God based on Christ's merit. So then he said this statement. God did not call us to victory. He called us to obedience. Of which victory is a byproduct. Now think how different that's being marketed today. Christ called you to victory. Jesus paid it all. It doesn't matter how you are. If God said do this and you don't, it doesn't matter. It's your money. Use it as you want to. Okay? Christ, God calls us to obedience of which victory is a byproduct. So when I, when I want to please God, when I come to Christ and I serve or I need Him, I don't get that because of my merit. It's all on Jesus. But I want to give him something. I I want to. I don't do it so I can get anything. I want to please him. I want to. I love to cook and surprise Rindy with yummy food. Just so I can see the look in her face. And also sometimes when she doesn't say anything. But, you know. (laughs) The point is, I... Husbands, when when you love your wives like Christ loved the church, you're just looking for ways. You don't want to really get anything. You just want to. You just love to love them, right? And your children and your little grand squishy kids, okay? And you just love to love them. You just love to see the delight, right? And so when we serve Christ, that's what that comes from. But it doesn't give us pointers. It doesn't give us. We don't move up on the scale. That's Jesus's work. I better be careful with that altar. I best not forget. So what do we do with this today? Well, with what we've heard and what we're going. Here's what I want to say as we move into the time of corporate prayer. Can we not get to the point in 2022 
that the Christian church has got to be brought back to the part of understanding that God demands a holy people. A people who individually seek Him in the way that He has prescribed. And together, as a corporate body of believers, the way that He has prescribed. We should be able to pray together. You say, well, I don't really know what to pray for. Don't ever tell me that. Are you kidding me? I've been watching some things on revival. And one of the, one of the things that I read recently was, one guy in particular says he, 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 he doesn't have high hopes for revival to come again because he said the church, number one, doesn't even hardly any longer retain a correct view of God. To know exactly who it is they're trying to seek. Because everything seems just fine. And I would say that's probably because it's full of honey and leaven. Very little salt. But there's a remnant that understands that when these things come, it always begins in the simplest of ways. When God's people pray. And, it, and that first prayer may start this way. God, I'm not right. I'm not right. I don't have the passion that I should have. And when it comes to praying and asking you to do what only you can do, I am not moved with desperation. I admit that. Change it. Start at the very basis of where you are. God, and we lift up everything. Because we need an invasion. So with that being said, We're going to go into a time of corporate prayer.